Hello and welcome to season two of the HLED podcast by the Harvard Law Entrepreneurship Project. My name is Ben Ho. I'm a three-year-old Harvard Law School, and I'm your host. The season of the HLED podcast is made possible by our sponsors, Ork, Femek and West, and Cooley. You're joining us in the second half of our season where we learn about lawyering in a recession and lawyering in emerging industries. On today's episode, we speak to Yale Pearl and Christine Seeker, partners at Ork who introduce us to energy tech. Yale and Kristen discuss what issues clients in this emerging industry face and how lawyers help clients navigate them. If you're interested in working in the energy tech, climate tech, or clean tech spaces, this episode is for you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to stay up to date for the latest episodes. All right, let's get started. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Yale. Welcome to the HLEP Podcast. Thank you. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm really excited to kick off our Emerging Industry series with you both. So let's start off with some introductions and we'll go to you first, Yale. Can you tell us about yourself, your practice area, and how you got here doing what you do or some of the major checkpoints along the way? Sure. So my name is Yael Pearl. I'm a partner in our tech companies group at Oric. Um, I'm based in Silicon Valley. I sit in our Menlo Park office. Um, I've been practicing for a while. Um, started my practice in Israel, actually. Wow. Um, but have been working with uh, tech companies throughout, you know, my entire practice. So started in Israel with tech companies um, and then moved to the U.S. And have, I've been practicing out here for about 10 years and in, in basically working with startups and venture capital funds. Um, startups can be from the very, very early stage to very late stage uh, unicorn companies. Um, and. Recently, I would say I spend a lot of time with energy tech companies, which we'll talk about what those are, but it's certainly a, a good part of my practice uh, currently. Awesome. Kristen. Hi, I'm Kristen Seeger. I'm a partner in uh, the Energy and Infrastructure Group. I am based in San Francisco. I have been at Oric for about 15 years now. Um, practicing a little bit longer than that. And my practice focuses entirely on mergers and acquisitions in the energy space, specifically in the renewable wow. energy and energy tech space. And what that means in terms of M&A is just everything from individual project acquisitions and sales to platform deals, to SPAC transactions, to joint ventures and cash equity. Awesome. We are very proud to have Oric being one of our sponsors in this podcast and of HLEP as well. Can you tell us a little bit about Oric and you know the type of clients that Oric typically represents? So um, Oric, Oric is a global firm. Um, we have about eleven hundred attorneys uh, across the world. You know, obviously we have a very large U.S. presence um, all across the United States, as well as a very strong European practice and um, Asian practiced as well. Um, so really span the globe and we're able to provide, you know, legal services across, uh, you know, for, for companies all over the world. Um, we are kind of built in three main sectors. Uh, technology is one of them, energy and infrastructure is the second, and I would say the third is our uh, finance group. Uh, not in any particular order, I should just mention. <laughs> all equally right. important and all, you know, part of ORIC. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about the energy and infrastructure group today, right? So very excited for that. Oh, Kristen, do you have anything you want to add? I was just going to give some background on the energy and infrastructure aspect of our practice, if that's helpful, one of the pillars that Yale mentioned. So within the energy and infrastructure group on a global basis, we do three main things. The first is development work. 
So that is supporting clients in everything from offtake contracts to equipment procurement to engineering contracting, really the building blocks of putting you know, energy projects together. The second is finance work. And that's everything from credit agreements, back leverage financing, construction financing, to tax equity financing, which is unique to the renewable energy space. It's basically the monetization of the tax credits that is associated with a lot of this type of technology. And then the third is M&A, which I already described, which is where my practice sits. Oh, wow. This is really great. Sets us up for the meat of the episode. So we'll get right into it right here, right? So we hear a lot about climate tech, clean tech, and energy tech. So we'll use energy tech for the purposes of this episode. Um, can you tell us about what energy tech is? Is energy tech a particular practice area or is it a group that involves multiple practice areas too? So when we talk about energy tech, in our minds, we're talking about decarbonization through new technologies. So if you think about renewable energy, really you're talking about renewable power generation. And post-passage of the IRA, especially when you can build renewable power at scale and cheap enough, the question is, what do you do with that power? And that's where the technology conversation comes into play. And you can start talking mm. about mass desalinization of water, green hydrogen, direct air capture. So really, you think of renewable energy as the building block on which energy tech sits. So Again, we're talking about decarbonization through new technology when we're talking about mm. energy tech. I'll just to answer or to add a little bit more color from from the technology side of the house. Um, you know, I definitely say that energy tech, our practice touches all three of our sectors, and it's it's certainly mm. on the intersection of them. Um, and from my perspective, so I'm again in the technology group uh, working with startups. Um, we kind of noticed the difference between energy tech clients and our regular tech clients um, requires, you know, more help from other sectors within the firm. Um, and we rely on them to support our clients. So, for example, I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but our um, tech companies tend to be sort of um, hyper growth and um, they tend to move fast and break things. Um, mm. But when uh, we think about energy tech, they operate within a more regulated space. And so we rely on practitioners like Kristen and mm. from our energy and infrastructure group or um, from our you know, ESG practice to help us sort of navigate some of the regulatory concerns that our clients are handling. Our energy tech clients also have sort of a longer funding life cycle in the sense that they may be more capital intensive earlier on uh, versus our standard, let's say, you know, software tech companies that can, you know, kind of get started with very low capital. And our energy tech companies are sometimes sort of slower to provide returns to investors than, than our standard tech, you know, especially B2C type um, tech companies. So we rely on, you know, members of our um, private equity group and finance group to help um, think about sort of complex structures um, for fi funding these companies that we wouldn't usually need to rely on. So definitely kind of cross auric um, efforts <laughs> for supporting our mm -hmm. energy tech clients. 
Oh, cool. So, so energy tech isn't like, say, a practice area like emerging companies and venture capital, but rather it's sort of an industry group that relies on multiple practice areas coming together, answering a lot of regulatory questions and also financing questions. Exactly. Exactly. We collaborate a lot. We work across sectors, across groups. Um, it's great. Get to meet a lot of new friends in the firm. Um, so it's, it, it's wonderful. So I'm really curious, yeah, we'll stick to you with you on this one. How did you decide on, say, this practice area? Right. Was it was it was energy tech an area you knew you eventually wanted to go into or something you just discovered along the way? Thank you. That's a really good question. Um, so going back to kind of my path, I would say I always knew I wanted to work with innovative companies and sort of mm. energized founders that wanted to improve the world in, in some way. Um, ever since I was in law school, it was clear to me that, you know, tech can make a significant improvement to people's people's lives. And so mm. I would say early in my career, it was clear that I wanted to work with early stage companies and founders, they, you know, with the energy that they bring. Um, and that's what I did consistently, but I was somewhat industry agnostic for a very long time. Um, and I mm. still, to a certain degree, work with a lot of companies in different industries. So again, it could be software, hardware, um, B2B, B2C, a lot of companies all, you know, all across um, kind of the technology ecosystem, right? I think it's it's more in the last few years that um, I started to have more clients in energy tech, and they, you know, they were working on, you know, whether it's um, battery storage or you know renewable types of energy, um, and there was something in sort of the the mission critical kind of perspective that they had to their startup, which was beyond, you know, just wanting to create a new app or or something like that, that really spoke to me. Um, and I, you know, could could get really energized around the mission that they were working on. So definitely started to um, work with more energy tech companies and, and focus it on it a lot more and uh, trying to make connections within, you know, Auric to make sure that we're all kind of aligned on helping the clients uh, together. Uh, you know, definitely think that climate climate change is kind of one of the main uh, threats to humanity at the, at the moment. Um, and so wanted to do whatever I could to, to help with that. I, I'll still say I still practice regular, you know, startup work and work with a variety of clients, but energy tech is definitely something I'm passionate about as well. Right. And, you know, Kristen, you mentioned earlier too about renewables. So this is a relatively new industry as well, it seems. How did you get involved here? Was it something you knew ahead of time or experience that pivot made you want to pivot and commit to this space? Yeah. So when I graduated from law school, I knew I wanted to be a transactional lawyer, but I wasn't sure what type of transactional law I wanted to practice. So mm -hmm. I joined a firm out in San Francisco uh, that was focused primarily on construction litigation. And because they did a lot of construction litigation, they had a transactional side of the house that was working with a lot of especially solar developer side, sponsor side mm. startups. Um, so I started working with those partners as a junior lawyer and really found it exciting for a couple reasons. You know, one similar to what Yale mentioned, I really liked working with the founders that were, you know, really passionate about this area, you know, passionate about mm. what they were start starting. Folks were excited, and that's just that's great when you're sitting around a room with a bunch of folks that are just they're excited about what you're doing. 
Um, and lots of times you're doing mm-hmm. stuff for the first time. You know, for example, in the Obama cash grant days um, around renewables, when I was a junior lawyer, I was doing the transaction for the first time, but so was the client, so was the senior tax partner. And that was just exciting. It kind of led to a level of creativity that is required for these types of transactions. When you're doing something that's innovative and you're looking at new structures for the first time, you're trying to analogize to other areas of law, it requires a certain level of, you know, it's like one big creative group project. And I liked that. That was really kind of something that fit with my personality. I was passionate about the area as well, like Gail said, Mm. and uh, we joined the Auric uh, platform. I came over in 2008, and Auric really started to focus on energy as one of its key pillars, one of its key strategy areas, as Yale mentioned earlier. We opened an office in Houston a couple years after I joined, and that really just started to solidify our focus on energy in the U.S. And so it just kind of naturally took off from there. Uh, and I found it, you know, just mm. through, you know, almost by accident, but very glad that I did. Wow. So a lot of serendipity. And you said a lot of things there will resonate with our audience here. A lot of us are interested in these type of spaces and industries that have the potential to just, I guess, leap and grow. Uh, okay. So i really excited to ask Kristen or, or whoever who wants to pick on this one. What are some of the types of legal issues that tend to come up in this space? So I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, just how much cross-group, cross-practice collaboration there is in an initiative like Energy Tech. It's really something that sits between the seams of a lot of different practice areas. So for me personally, Mm -hmm. on the M&A side, for example, I collaborate a lot with our tax lawyers here a lot with our bankruptcy and restructuring, a lot with our environmental and permitting experts, our real estate experts, our securities experts. I mean, you name it, this is like really, like I said, a big group project where it requires a lot of different kind of avenues in to really tackle some of these problems. Yeah, anything you want to add on that one? So, you know, Energy Tech is very similar, I would say, in a lot of ways to to our general uh, tech practice. One of the things, though, that is different is that whereas our, you know, standard technology companies, um, you know, they move fast and break things um, because they're maybe not operating a very regulated space. Our energy tech clients are operating a regulated space, and they cannot operate in the same way. So um, they need more advice early on about the types of issues, whether it's on the energy side or on the securities compliance side. Um, they certainly need a lot more support from from our regulatory practitioners. And similarly, I would say another difference is that our energy tech clients tend to be more capital intensive in terms of mm. the amount of capital that it would take them to to get to a first um, you know pilot or proof of concept. Of whatever it is that they're building, um, whereas tech companies can kind of operate on very low cash early days uh, and put out a pro- you know product to market fairly quickly with you know a fairly low amount of funds. Um, that's not necessarily true for our energy tech clients. They also may have longer sort of periods for return, so it would take longer for uh, for them to return capital to investors. So again, here we need 
more specialized um, help on the funding side, creating sort of mm. complex funding structures. So we work with our finance teams or our private equity um, practitioners to kind of find solutions for them uh, to help them kind of grow the company at the pace that kind of their business requires. Great. So we hear, we've heard a lot from season one about financings, emerging companies issues as we go across the corporate life cycle. wonder if any of you can share with me some of the regulatory concerns that come up in this space. So when you talk about regulatory in this space, that's really an umbrella term that can mean a lot of different things depending on really, you know, kind of what technology you're talking about, what problem you're tackling. And so I would say that clients mean a lot of different things by regulatory. And we have a whole stage practice mm. at Oric that focuses on strategic and government advice, you know, in these types of regulatory areas. But it can really just by way of example mean anything from you know, a solar or wind developer asking me questions about FERC and NERC and, you know, federal and state regulatory laws designed to focus on the power industry to in what Yale does, it could mean that they're asking about blue sky laws and securities laws. And so regulatory, really, you can think of it as a big umbrella term that encompasses a lot of different areas of law. And you know, similar to in law school, you have to almost be issue spotting within there mm-hmm. to kind of figure out what it is that you're being asked so that you can bring in the kind of the right regulatory type expertise. Oh, wow. I love this group project analogy that keeps coming up here. It's like a big umbrella that everybody has to kind of come underneath. Okay. So I, so it makes me curious, right? So Yale mentioned different kinds of clients like tech companies. You mentioned a solar and wind power company. Can you give me a sense of what kind of clients would come to lawyers and ask energy tech related questions? I'd love to hear what the variety is going to be selling like. So on, on my side, it could be, you know, any sort of startup that is in, in the space. So just, you know, off the top of my head, a few clients that I work with, um, you know, direct air captures, you know, one type of client that we, we work with, um, Charge sort of fast charging or mobile charging for for electric vehicles, for example, is another. Mm. Um, we you know we work or it works with Fisker, so that's sort of I would also put that under sort of the mobility part of um, of energy tech. So um, there's those are the types of clients that we work with, and you know they we, we answer their question. I think on Kristen's side of the house, um, it's a, it's a different group, probably right, Kristen. So on the energy and infrastructure side of the house, we generally have a sponsor side practice. And that means that we're representing developers that are out there building, owning, operating, constructing projects. And like we were talking about earlier with energy tech, really focusing on decarbonization, where you see the interplay between like what Yale does and what I do is when you're talking about technology companies that are looking for a green energy resource in order to scale. So that's where you start talking about oh. things like green hydrogen, for example. Okay, so you can have startups just really getting off the ground to, I guess, legacy companies who are trying to get into this space then. That's, that's right. right. Yep, it really runs the gamut. Cool, and you know, you mentioned a few, uh, a few regulatory examples earlier, carbon capturing, et cetera. You know, we hear about ESG all the time here in law school. Can you tell me about how it inter- ESG interacts with the energy tech space? Yeah, so we have a whole ESG um, initiative here at Oric and attorneys that focus 100% of their time on ESG. 
um, and impact financing and everything in between. I think when clients are talking about ESG as well, oftentimes they're talking about a more global corporate initiative that is focused on sustainability, that's focused on energy transition, that's focused on carbon footprint, and really helping clients to figure out how they can make investments and how they can help actually meet those goals you know, within what they're looking at on the legal side. Okay, so much of it involves making sure business goals remain in alignment with ESG expectations and guidelines then. Yeah, it's really an umbrella term that encompasses, you know, energy tech is something that sits underneath the umbrella term of ESG. Great, great. Well, can you guys take us behind the scenes in the work that you do? Now, what does a typical deal, typical transaction or issue in this space look like? Sure. So I would say, you know, definitely in our sort of technology companies group, every day is is different from the day that came before it. Uh, you wow. don't necessarily know which issue you're going to be dealing with uh, today. I like to think that I start the day um, thinking I'm going to be looking at five or, or 10 issues that are kind of most important that day. And it ends up that uh, maybe I've done three of those, but there were seven other issues that came up and, and mm-hmm. were urgent. So it's definitely sort of a diverse uh, practice with um, diverse teams uh, in terms of uh, who we're working with and who, um, which practice group we're working with and, and, and which specialty we're dealing with that specific day. I mean, some examples of the work that we do. So um, we work with a lot of uh, YC companies um, in mm-hmm. ener- that are energy tech focused, but not only. Again, you know, it's, it's any kind of technology company that might go through YC. Um, and so one of the things that we would, you know, frequently do for them is if it's a if it's a company that's not based in the U.S., we would help them, for example, um, flip their jurisdiction of, of the parent company mm-hmm. from a foreign corporation to to a Delaware company and prepare them basically to receive the, you know, the YC investment and, and be part of the YC program. Um, sorry, if I, if I said YC to begin with, it's Y Combinator <laughs> the whole time. Thank you. Yes. Um, so um, we, we, you know, we, so it might be just helping them restructure the company as kind of a U.S. Uh, parent company with a subsidiary somewhere around the globe. Uh, it could be Israel, it could be Germany, it could be the UK, um, you know, really anywhere around the world. And so that's that's one of the things that we work with. I'd say a lot of the work that we do um, is also around financing. So our um, mm. energy tech and, and, and tech clients generally ask us for help with um, getting themselves funded. And mm. we will... Um, we will help sort of figure out what the right financing structure is, think about who the right investors are for them. And then as they uh, negotiate a term sheet, we'll help with that and negotiate the, the main financing documents and, and help them around, you know, providing representations, et cetera. So we kind of deal with their financing life cycle from, you know, day one and all the way until uh, they have hopefully a successful exit. The other thing I should mention is that we also work on the investor side. And so we represent sort Mm. of investors in the energy tech space as well. Um, And we will, again, help them with their negotiation and diligence into energy tech companies. And it's helpful that we have a broad team that can, as needed, can dig in deeper on sort of diligence issues um, because they have sort of the subject matter expertise on on energy matters. Got it. Kristen, you anything to add? 
I would just say the other aspect of our day, um, you know, is really trying to understand and get behind who these clients are. You can give better legal advice if you understand what the commercial driver is of what they're trying to achieve, who they are as an organization, what their goals are. And so really spending that time to understand, you know, who the client is and what is behind the legal question, I think helps give better legal Mm. advice. So we both spend a lot of time just, you know, reading industry press, you know, getting up to speed on what our clients are up to, what is important and top of mind to them. What are they looking at in the market? What are they worried about? You know, can we proactively get in front of them, you know, for some of those matters that they might be thinking about, you know, supply chain issues, tariff risk. And so that's really the other aspect of the practice part is it part of it is reacting to input that you are receiving you know updates to documents term sheets phone calls negotiations but the other is really just thinking about how these clients are seeing the world what they're worried about and how you can get in front of that and really be an integral part to you know their platform oh wow that is so interesting you mentioned issue spotting earlier and i i think about that right now so it's one thing for clients that come and ask for financing and, and to help uh, figure out how to receive that financing. But it's also quite another for an energy tech lawyer to be able to anticipate the issues that come based on the kind of concerns they're likely to face and, and having the commercial awareness to really predict these things. Right. And, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, in some ways, this is a group project. You know, you want them mm. on the legal side, you are successful if you are helping them achieve their commercial goals. And so understanding how they're thinking about things as an organization Mm. is so important to that, right? And, you know, making offers to them, for example, of folks in our shop that might be able to help them think about an issue that they're grappling with ahead of them coming and asking you about it. Just, you know, being proactive in that way, I think, is really an important, you know, part of a practice like this, especially when you're talking about energy tech. When folks are out there doing things for the first time and trying to innovate and thinking about issues in a brand new way. Oh, wow. Okay. So a lot of also helping your clients navigate existing frameworks and also anticipating things that really might not actually have an analogy right now and, and helping them figure out a way around that. That's very interesting. I, okay. I love to hear now. How does the work change for, say, a junior to senior associate and then partner? So... I think this is true across um, most of our sectors, so I'll, I'll kind of speak broadly. Um, generally, teams are staffed up with either one or two partners, um, mm. one or two, you know, typically one or two senior associates or managing associates, which is what you know we call um, kind of the mid-levels um, mm. associates, and then you know a junior or two for a very early stage client, you know one partner, one senior or mid-level, uh, and one um, junior might be enough. Uh, but it may be that um, for our uh, later stage clients, you kind of need to double up on each one of those, right? To provide sort mm-hmm. of um, ample resources to, to respond to any question or any issue that comes up in a very timely manner. Um, so be, besides our kind of um, lawyers on the team, we also have a paralegal staffed um, on each client. Uh, par- paralegals are an integral part of our um, practice. Mm-hmm. Um, they provide, you know, all the cap table management, options management uh, work, as well as filings and 
and other things. And paralegals, as they are more senior, can really help associates with their work too on um, compliance, regulatory on the security side, um, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, general corporate governance. So very important part of the team. So I, I know you mentioned earlier that there's really no typical day. It changes all the time. But if you can just give me a standard, as standard as possible, like a junior associate, what kind of work would they be doing on these kind of deals or these kind of concerns? What kind of work will a senior associate do? And what, what kind of work will, will a partner do? Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples from, from, from my practice. Um, mm. Let's take an incorporation, for example. So um, new company, two founders come in through the door, you know, it may be the partner that meets them for the first time and, you know, has an initial conversation to understand sort of, you know, who they are, what the business is, what they're trying to build, what they've done so far. Uh, maybe issue spot too, to use uh, Kristen's term, um, mm-hmm. what, you know, might be some of the concerns that we have about the way they've already been operating. So have they been operating for a long time without uh, forming? That might be a concern. Um, has the, I, you know, is the IP in the right place? Um, have they gotten invention invention assignments for everyone who's touched the IP? So that initial conversation might be the partner who issue spots. Um, wow. Once we get through that sort of initial conversation, um, if we're incorporating the company, um, the partner will let the you know more senior and then the junior associate know kind of what the structure is. What are some of the issues that the partner has already identified? May consult with them on you know including the paralegal. What are some of the other issues that we could we could possibly address that might that might have been um, problematic in 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 their kind of cycle so far, um, and then um, we go away with that plan. So initially, it might be the the junior associate that sets up the the formation documents, and you know at Oric we care a lot about automation, and we don't want to create things from scratch. So we have excellent forms for you know incorporation and. Um, and sort of the the immediate forms that young companies might need, right? So if it's your NDAs, your uh, offer letters, your separation agreements, all those things that you can kind of put together as a package, uh, typically it will be sort of a junior associate that that gets that started. Um, the paralegal in the meantime will check that everything is correct with all of their registrations that they've um, mm. that we're filing securities filings as needed, uh, and we'll do that in the background as well. Um, typically once the, once the documents have been prepared by the, um, junior associate, the more senior associate or the partner, depending on how the team is structured, uh, will review those documents, um, add any additional sort of considerations and then, um, sign off on it being sent to the client. So one thing I'd say is from an early, because our, um, junior associates are involved in the heart of the process very early on. Um, they get a lot of exposure, both to kind of the core documents of, you know, an incorporation, for example, and they get a lot of exposure to the client from a very early stage because, you know, they've created the documents. They are now the expert on the documents. Right. So they will communicate mm-hmm. a lot of time with the clients, asking questions and, um, you know, changing things uh, in the documents as they receive responses. Similar process, I would say, for the financing. I know I touched on incorporation for financing. It's similar, so I won't reiterate the mm-hmm. whole thing. But again, a partner might get the information from the client on what kind of um, transaction they're looking for, who the investors are, what are the high-level terms. We'll try to, you know, at that point, issue spot as well for some things around governance and how the company is currently structured, how the uh, company wants to be structured going forward. What, is it, what does the board look like? 
what are some of the controls that the company is relinquishing to its investors, that kind of thing. So we'll issue spot early on. Partner takes that to the team. Um, and then we, you know, again, maybe the junior that starts the first draft of the main financing documents, um, the disclosure schedule for sure. Um, and then, as I said, it goes through kind of the different review process until it's sent out to the client and the other side. That's awesome. So a lot of navigating NVCA forms for the appropriate clients. Kristen, you talk a lot about this umbrella term again. I, I'd love to hear if you have anything to add with respect to you know the work that juniors, senior associates, and, and partners do in, say, an issue spotting for an energy tech project. So I echo what Yale says. This is really a group effort. And you know, across mm. kind of all areas of the team, everybody's really encouraged to get to know the client, you know, again, what is top of mind to them, understanding their documents. And I think especially in energy tech, because everything is changing so quickly, and there's really an opportunity at the junior level to really become an expert on a particular question or particular area. You know, for example, going into COVID, when we were dealing with force majeure issues on equipment supply, mm. you're really sitting there kind of alongside the client trying to figure this out. And there's an opportunity to really take that initiative and become the expert and really lead the charge. And I think that's what's really interesting about the energy tech practice, just the number of people involved in it, the number of specialty areas, the number of opportunities to really be creative and innovative in the way that you're thinking about some of these issues. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Well, last question in this segment before we move on to advice for law students. So we've talked a lot about what is interesting to you in energy tech. Uh, looking ahead, what are you both most excited about in this industry? So for me, working in renewables for 15 years, I think what I really enjoy about it is how much it changes over time. You know, the issues that I was talking about a year ago might not be the issues I'm talking about today. And it just really, when you start to talk, like I said, about, you know, green power and what you can do to scale the technology side, it's just exciting to hear what some of our clients are talking about. You know, some of the impact just in terms of impact on our planet, impact on energy transition, impact on the way that we live our lives. You know, it's so much more than a legal practice. It's something that has you know, personal meaning for me, something that I think impacts all of us um, and the way that we think mm. about our future. And so just really the excitement to, to watch these conversations and see the doors opening to some of these, what were previously technology moonshots, you know, folks talking about direct air capture and on-orbit solar. Wow. And, you know, mass green hydrogen. I mean, this is an exciting conversation that, you know, we weren't necessarily having five years ago. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say, um, you know, the, the tech industry has, you know, it's a bit cyclical and it, it's going through, you know, right now, potentially a rougher, you know, patch. Um, we've all heard about all the, the layoffs in the large tech companies. Um, what I'm excited about here is it's, Energy tech right now is is not going through the same, um, I'll say slump, but just broad tech is going through. Uh, investments mm. in energy tech are up. Um, investors are still very much excited in companies in energy tech. And I think it speaks to 
the fact that a lot of investors and you know society at large kind of sees the importance in trying to fund some of these moonshots and um, get more, um, you know, have a broader view of trying to solve the climate crisis. Um, it's very exciting to be a part of that. Uh, it's encouraging that that's where we are right now and that a lot uh, there's a lot more investor interest and um, a lot more demand for, for companies in the space. So I think that's great. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. We're going to move on to advice for law students. So let's say I'm a law student or a junior associate, very interested in energy tech space. What is something I can do to prepare to move into this field? So I think there are a couple things. I think from a law student perspective, just think broadly about the different areas of law that might apply to energy tech. So for example, mm. Some of the classes I took in law school that I found particularly useful in terms of issue spotting, like we were talking about, are things like bankruptcy and restructuring, which might not be top of mind when you're thinking about energy tech. You know, securities and UCC, um, you know, corporate tax. Those are all great examples of areas where it's not necessarily intuitive. And so understanding and having the building blocks of, of what, you know, those mm -hmm. areas means so that you know when to bring in an expert, I think is really fundamental to, you know, having an energy tech practice. I would say the second thing is if uh, from a junior associate perspective coming into a law firm, just feel free to be vocal and tell folks you're interested in the area, you want to get involved. You know, if there's a particular partner whose practice looks really interesting, approach that partner, offer to help, sit in and sit in on calls. Mm. I think that just being really proactive in that way, um, you know, can get you a lot of opportunity. And then finally, just, you know, finding local organizations, um, you know, and groups that are, you know, involved around energy tech. Um, and joining one of those organizations just you know, across industries, not just necessarily within the legal industry, so that you can just start having conversations with you know, other people that are really interested in the area and working in the area. Oh, wow. So I imagine that's really helpful for building the kind of commercial awareness that will be helpful for, for issue spotting. Exactly. Cool. Yo, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything that Kristen said. Um, I, I would say if, you know, if you're starting in a startup practice, you know, ECVC, whatever it's called at the firm you're starting at uh, as, a, as a junior associate, um, certainly you're going to be seeing a lot of sort of different type of different types of companies. Um, so you don't necessarily have to make a decision day one that this is something you're interested in. But over time, as Kristen said, you'd start reaching out to the partners who are doing more energy tech deals and you'd start to naturally gravitate to those companies and raise your hand and say that you're interested in them. And over time, you'll see that there are recurring patterns and there are recurring issues. And as you kind of grow through um, your, your career, um, the fact that you're aware of those recurring themes uh, is going to add a lot of value to people on, on the energy tech team. And so flagging that you've dealt with similar issues in the past and have seen, you know, these types of companies or, you know, you can help with the, with the issue spotting again. Um, and that's very valuable and that will naturally kind of, you know, uh, help you navigate into, into that practice group. Wow. Okay. So keep leaning into your passions because they can help later on. Okay. So final question, 
Uh, many of our listeners today are preparing to join a law firm as first-year associates, or eventually after graduation. What advice do you have for them? What are some of the things you wish you knew before you started? So I think um, we have a lot of you know programs in place to help junior associates coming into law firms kind of catch up on you know what it is that we do, how how we do it, and um, and integrate into group. There's a lot of leeway in terms of gaining that knowledge, and you know we all we're all aware that you're, you're not born a lawyer, and you don't. Um, law school doesn't necessarily prepare you for what the day to day issues you'll be dealing with. I think there's a lot of room there to grow and, and, and learn. The thing that I think sets apart certain um, junior associates from others is, is not the knowledge, because like I said, we're expecting you don't know it when you start. It's, it's being proactive. It's, it's uh, never letting anything drop. It's um, kind of communicating well with your team. So uh, if you're assigned something and you don't know what to do, um, Ask, you know, reach out, ask a more senior um, associate, ask the partner, ask a paralegal. They know a lot, <laughs> right? Um, mm. So ask around. Don't be shy. The worst thing is, is just to sit there, you know, paralyzed and concerned that you don't know what to do. So being mm. proactive and um, learning and kind of catching up is, is very important. Being part of a team, recognizing that as a junior associate, you're a big part of that team and you have a very important role. Um, within that team, um, and not letting kind of your responsibility um, kind of drop, basically. So, um, if if you're handed something to do, you you can't do it. You know, again, communicate, figure out a way, figure out a solution for for getting it done, um, because you're a part of the team and we rely on you. And um, I think that really sets apart associates who kind of um, are proactive and. Um, consider themselves and understand their importance within the team. Cool. Kristen, anything to add? Yeah, no, I think Yale's right. You know, being proactive, communicating, this is a team effort and, you know, everybody needs to, you know, be part of the team. The other thing I would say is what goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is spend time getting to know who your client is, what the industry is they're focused on you know, understanding what is driving, you know, the legal request. What is it that we're achieving with this, you know, with what we're working on for them? And just spending time to think about that background, I think, helps you align what you're doing on the legal side more with what the client is trying to achieve. And that's just going to make you a more trusted advisor to the client, right? Um, and so really, you know, spending that, that time just to kind of get to know who you're working with, I think is really important. Wow. So, you know, don't be, I guess, be proactive about developing commercial awareness, but also be proactive by asking questions and being an uh, integral member of this team. Thank you so much. I've learned so much on this call. And I'm really looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to season two of the HLF podcast, proudly brought to you by Oric, Femic and West, and Cooley. We'd like to thank our sound engineer, Job Lim, and of course, Kristen and Yael for taking the time to share their thoughts with us. Join us next time for another episode in our Lowering in a Recession and Lowering in an Emerging Industry series. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thank you and see you next time. This podcast is a production of the Harvard Law Entrepreneurship Project, an officially recognized Harvard Law School student organization. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Harvard Law School or Harvard University.